again, thanks to Cry Malt, local malt for local beer, this is Radio Brews News. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It uh, doesn't seem quite that long ago that we were chatting, but uh, but here we are again. Here we are again. And there's a reason for that, uh, because we're also joined by our globe-trotting Brews News editor, and as of yesterday, certified Cicerone, James Atkinson. James, welcome back from, well, you know, <laughs> welcome back to Radio Brews News, but welcome back to the country as well. Oh, thanks, fellas. This is a rare treat. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, it's something that we have been wanting, we have been threatening to uh, to do more often. And after your uh, interviews that we played last week, uh, we certainly need to get you on more often. But the reason that we're having this uh, special bonus edition this week and getting you on is this is something of a mere culpa for me or a re-explanation for me. Uh, last week, we played your interview between yourself and Ray Daniels of the Cicerone program. And at the conclusion of it, Pete and I just had some extemporaneous uh, remarks. Beer is a conversation and we don't run to a script about the Cicerone program. And this morning I received an email from you with the subject line, Matt Shitcanning Cicerone, and ending somewhere around 400 words later with the sentence, in other words, pull your head in, Matt. So I thought, shit, what have I said? Uh, I, I know I say a lot and I know it sometimes it generates a response. So maybe uh, you could just sort of provide a, an executive summary of what you'd said to me and we can have a quick chat and then also have a bit of a chat about the Cicerone program because you've got first-hand experience of it. Oh, well, I just thought that the way um, you refer, you know, the way you discussed the program was just a bit, a bit dismissive, and also probably just a bit lacking in understanding of um, what it actually involves. And and I kind of thought that, you know, on the day when everyone was getting their results, it was just probably the wrong, you know, context to be talking about Cicerone. It was actually a, you know, a day that a lot of people were excited to be getting their results and that was um you know that was when i when i actually listened to that interview it just came across as being a bit negative about it that was all yeah absolutely and then that and you know, again firstly i mean timing was just one of those things it actually went live to schedule last friday but uh, i think you know, as people listened to it during the week and as yesterday i started seeing people that i know very well um who worked very hard to get the cicerone qualifications popping up uh, saying that they they passed i think it was also the comments and uh, i know that pete and i have discussed off air and it certainly wasn't meant to be flippant and it wasn't meant to be dismissive of the cicerone program at all the conversation happened we played the interview and it came and i think the point that I was making, um, and I referred to university degrees, whilst I encourage every beer server in the country to become certified and beyond, and I you know, certainly think every craft beer bar in the country that has any pretensions to being a craft beer bar should follow the tap houses example and make sure that they get, I think, at least 50% of all of their staff certified. You know, the one point I was making was that a lot of people have, you know, there are a lot of people with medical degrees that I don't necessarily want to go and see when I'm sick, or surgeons that I don't want coming at me with a, a scalpel but that doesn't mean that I don't think that you know, every doctor that I go and see should have a medical degree I just think that the point was making that there are limitations and that it's uh, results may vary from person to person but it certainly wasn't undermining it so yeah but look, I, I'd perhaps it's a good opportunity to um to, stop digging to, 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 uh, well yeah that, that horse is dead man um <laughs> dig, dig up stupid um yeah and I, and I made my point in the email this morning that one thing about the Cicerone program is that is that mediocrity will not get you to certified Cicerone. And I, I did just say to you in the email that unlike a university degree, which you likened it to, in a university degree, if you get 50%, you, it's a pass or whatever. And with Cicerone, you have to get 80%, which would be a, a high distinction at most universities. So that was the other point that I made in my email. 
Yeah, I don't know what the pass rate for medicine is, but again, I mean, for me, it was relevant this week because a very good beer writer and a great beer judge and an author, very well-respected author um, of Beer and Food, posted a comment about um, beer and food matching, and uh, he, he shared some topics that he had about beer and food matching, for example, and some of them I just out and out disagreed with. And, you know, for example, he said lager and chilli or lager and spice, and that's actually something, an all-malt lager and... Thai food, for example, I find is a much better match to my palate and to a lot of people that I've tried a palate than, for example, an IPA, because I find the bitterness of an IPA exacerbates the heat of a chili, which if you really want to avoid that burning, it's not a good match. And my thought... So Matt, did you, sorry, can we just clarify your clarification of that clarification? Because I think you just said... <laughs> I don't. I don't. He said you should have a lager with a chili, but I disagree. You should have a lager with a no, chili. No, 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 no. He said that you don't. He he didn't think it was a good match. I think that if any qualification says that there is an absolute match, I'm not saying that that's what Cicerone does, but I think some people use it to think that there, uh, you know, that there is more than one good pairing, and that's where you know, like, just the surgeons can get a god complex because they've got a surgeon's degree. I would hate to see Cicerone, and I'm not saying that it's done that, but I know that in the wine industry, there have been a whole lot of people that get certain qualifications, and then they think that their experience is more valid. And that was all I was saying. And that was about qualifications generally. You know, I hope that that doesn't happen. I mean, you've touched on probably the most subjective part of the whole Cicerone syllabus is the food and beer matching is, is very subjective and there's not really, I mean there are look there are some answers that are wrong but there's 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 often quite a few right answers um, and you know I, I hope that we don't get any people the types of people that you're talking about as well but I suppose if we do get a couple of people that um, you know get big heads about whatever qualifications that, that they do have then hopefully we've got a lot of Cicerones and hopefully we've got a better standard of, of beer service in this country. Absolutely, and, and, and that's the point I make. And, and you know, like so, my observations, whilst they came after a conversation that you'd had about Cicerone, they weren't actually necessarily saying this is the Cicerone program. It's more the standardisation of qualifications generally. And you know, as I say, like the Cicerone program can only lift the skill base of the Australian craft beer industry by many orders of magnitude. Well, we def- we're definitely in agreement on that. Yeah, and look, it's probably a good opportunity for James to outline the basics, I guess, of the Cicerone program so we can give our listeners a bit of an idea of the areas that are covered and therefore what we're talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, the the syllabus is split into six or seven different areas, which is keeping and serving beer, beer styles, beer flavour and evaluation, ingredients and process, and beer and food pairing. And for me personally... Really, I had the most cursory knowledge of, um, you know, uh, some of those areas and pretty much next to no knowledge of of some of them as well. And added to that, it was just the fact that I hadn't, you know, I hadn't studied for any, I hadn't studied for anything since 1999 when I finished uni. I certainly hadn't sat any exams um, in, in that period. So that was probably the most dawning part of the whole thing was just, you know, getting back on the books. And, and not only that, but, you know, there is sort of a fair bit of practical um, understanding that really helps that you would only have from working in a venue um, around the whole beer service uh, side of things. So for me, that actually meant getting an RSA and um, getting into my good friend Mick Bain's pub, the Royal Albert, and pouring some beers, getting more confident with that, being there on line cleaning day, seeing what that involved. Um, you know, checking out the cellar and understanding all that sort of stuff. 
Um, so, you know, for me, I was probably coming at it from a standing start more so than some people would be if they were already, if they were brewers, they'd already have, you know, the ingredients and process and, and probably beer styles nailed a lot better than I did. Um, but then, you know, my one, probably my one advantage was being a journalist. There are three essays in the exam. And so I was probably a bit better equipped, um, you know, to organize my thoughts in an essay than, than perhaps some other people might've been. So I think everyone comes at it from different angles and with different, um, different skill sets. Um, and I mean, the, the other thing that I, you know, the other part I found very, very challenging was just the tasting side of things because there's there's a there's a tasting exam as part of it which is quite grueling and you have to you have to get 70 percent or above in that component of the exam um to pass the whole exam and um you know that just learn doing blind tastings and sort of improving my sensory skills and 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 learning what were the different cues that would make me be able to tell I don't know, a Belgian golden strong ale from a Saison or a Pilsner from a, a Hellas Lager in a blind tasting, just doing a lot of blind tastings that that would skill me up for that was probably the, the hardest part of it all. And I should say that I know that you, because it is self-directed study, you don't go to lectures and get prepared for it. It is very much drawing from the whole body of beer um, that can be on the exam. And I know that you guys had a regular study group that were off doing these things and that you, you did arrange to spend time in the pub. And I know a lot of guys who work in the industry who still found it a very, very challenging exam to pass. So it is you know, it's certainly uh, the skills development uh, is undeniable. Yeah, and I mean, with you know, with the, with sort of the beer styles component, for example, um, you know, I don't know if there's maybe 80 beer styles in the BJCP and, you know, there's a historical beer styles section as well. And we, in, you know, prior to the exam, had sort of discussed, oh, well, they wouldn't ask. We, we were, you know, we had a Cicerone, a certified Cicerone uh, friend, Jonathan Hepner of Bucket Boys, who I should give a big shout out to because he was very helpful to all of us. Um, in, in preparing for it. And, and I actually remember him saying, they're never going to ask you about this particular style. Um, and sure enough, we got an essay on that particular style. And I was just lucky that I had written um, an article a week or so beforehand and had re been reading up on that particular style. And so I was sort of able to fudge my way through that question. Uh, you know, but But that was just a good example of how you know, they're not going to get you in there and and just ask you a question on the most obvious parts of the of the syllabus. And you know, you've really got to be the breadth of knowledge that it requires across all the different four. You know, like across um, you know German, Belgian, English, um, and American styles is is really quite large. And James, without sort of simplifying it too much, but what's the what's the purpose? Like, I guess, what's the um, uh, who, who is the is the course best? Uh, I guess suited to is it people who want to get into the physical brewing? Is it people who uh, want to get into the hospitality side of things and improve their knowledge that way? Uh, to get into judging, or uh, I guess in in education or, or training, where where does it sort of do you think it, it sort of fits? Well, it would be of value to any of to any of those people that you've just mentioned, as well as even you know the beer enthusiasts who 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 really um, just want to get deeper into the world of beer. It'd be valuable for them as well. 
Um, but I think, you know, the reason that Ray Daniels founded the Cicerone program was because he was sick of going to venues, um, ordering, uh, you know, seeing a beer list, asking the, the, the server a question about the beers, which they wouldn't know anything about. They wouldn't be able to tell him anything about them. The beer would come out. It would be in a dirty glass. So it would just look terrible. Um, you know, maybe it was, maybe it, there was a problem with the beer, maybe there was diacetyl or maybe it was infected or whatever it might have been. And if, if he tried to take it back, the server wouldn't know. So it, it, it's really about beer service. It's really about understanding how to avoid those problems emerging with beers in the context of um, a retail setting and, you know, being able to identify those issues, being able to yeah, being able to identify them and, and prevent them and also know what you're talking about when you're selling beer to the consumer. So that, that's, that's sort of the foundation of it. Um, and obviously, like for me, the, you know, the learning about the beer service and, you know, draft quality and all that kind of stuff was sort of very challenging and not especially relevant to my job. Probably the areas that I got the most out of were understanding the history of all the different styles and, and, and getting a yeah, getting a better understanding of that, so that, and also the brewing techniques, so that when I'm interviewing brewers or I'm writing stories about particular beer styles, I can now get into a level of detail that I wouldn't have otherwise been, and I can now ask questions of brewers who uh, obviously are going to know a lot, a lot, hell of a lot more about beer than I ever am. But I can ask questions that are just a bit more challenging and a bit more, a bit more authoritative. Yep, it's it's fascinating to hear. Um the reasons that Ray started the program. And, and I guess that's where um, the, you know, hopefully the industry takes it on because you can have some really skilled people in the industry, but unless owners are willing to invest in the practices and procedures in their venues that allow the their trained staff to give effect to the things that they've learned, hopefully the Cicerone program will be constantly driving up that level of service in the industry and not just providing the staff with the knowledge um, because I think venue owners need to step up as well, not just have uh, trained staff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and we haven't really seen, I don't think, you know, too many venue owners that have taken a lead, leadership position on this at this stage, um, other than the stomping ground and local tap house um, guys who obviously had a few people sit the certified Cicerone exam last year. And I believe a couple of the owners and possibly some of the other staff sat it in Melbourne um when I, when I, you know, in the same round of exams that I did, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how those guys went, and um, but hopefully they, they all did well. So yeah, that, that, that's just an example of one of the groups that has made a priority. And incidentally, the Tap House and Stomping Ground are two venues that have always invested in training their staff anyway. So it's probably no surprise that they are the ones who are taking it on. It's I guess it's all of the other venues that we hope to see, you know, sort of putting their staff through and encouraging their staff and maybe even uh, subsidising their staff because it is good for them and it's good for the industry as a whole to have that level of skill spreading through the industry. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see big pub groups, uh, you know, in Sydney, um, have a that might see fit to have a group Somalia have a group Cicerone, um, but we probably need some of those groups to actually care about beer in the first place for that to, to, for that to happen. The Institute of Beer run the Cicerone training or run the um, exams in Australia. Do you know if they have had any uh, in, interest from the big hotel groups? Um, you know, maybe the 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 Coles and the Woolworths uh, chains to provide training to their staff. No, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. I mean, I do know that there was um, one 
one uh, person from Lyon who sat the exam in, in Melbourne. That was uh, Jim Hollers in Brisbane, uh, or Jim Hollers may have flown to Melbourne to do it, but uh, he passed. Um, I caught up with him on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he did. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and, and I mean, looking at CB's recent recruitment drive um, for the, the Beer Collective, which is obviously going to be distributing Goose Island and some other of these international beer craft beer brands, um, you know, they've sort of specified that they want people who've who've got Cicerone qualification or that are prepared to go down that path. So I think that's a real positive thing for CEB to be doing because that's not really an area or, or a segment of the market that they've really been that interested in until now. Awesome. Well, James, uh, as I said, like, I hope I wasn't out of line with that crack about the Cicerone program. Um, and it's a... Well, you were, but we've dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we move, and that's the point at which we move on. I think, yeah, yeah I, I exactly. think we can agree that everyone should have Cicerone training, but I just don't want them operating on me. Yes, yes, and I promise not to. I promise not to wear my Cicerone pin um, around when I see you, Matt. No, no, I, that. Do you guys have a secret handshake I, but, um, <laughs> at all, James? Like just something. Well, I'll have a chat to Ray Daniels. Done. Hey, listen. Just before we go, too, um, I think you mentioned a figure of somewhere around thirty percent is the um, is the pass mark, uh, as in the, the yeah. for, for every hundred people who sit the the Cicerone exam, um, roughly seventy percent need to do it again. Yeah, and they might those people might, and that, that's on a global level. I don't I don't know that yeah. we've extrapolated out to Australia, but yeah, some of them might then need to go back and sit the tasting component of it again. If you if you fail either the written part or the tasting part, you can just go back and sit just sit that part of it. Um, but in Australia, I mean, I can only comment on in Sydney. There were six of us that sat it, and three of us. Uh, passed and a couple of the two people who were in my study group weren't, weren't fortunate enough to get through but I think both of them are going to come back and have another crack in six months and hopefully now that they've you know been through the experience the first time they'll they'll have a clear idea of of, of um, you know what it involves and they'll smash it next time around um, so I, and I don't know what the pass rate was like in the other states but I heard it was actually better than that 33 um, percent in Melbourne um, and possibly also in Perth as well so that shows that you know the Australians that did um, sit the exam took it seriously and put the work in and just um, to, to finish up I guess it's probably a good opportunity how much are people looking at um, out of their hard-earned to sit the exam or and I guess any other expenses that come along the way in terms of um, you know texts or uh, study aids or anything like that and how do they go about contacting somebody to express interest yeah well it's all via the Institute of beer and maybe just in relation to costing is maybe we could put a link in the show notes because I don't want to you know I'd be I mean I've got a rough idea but, but I don't want to name something that's not not correct. I mean, the, the thing to think about on top of that is, yeah, there's there's a few different texts that you really need to have um, in your arsenal, one of which being, you know, Randy Mosh's Tasting Beer and Garrett Oliver's um, Beer and Food Book. And, um, and then there's a bunch of other texts which would all be useful to have as well, whether it's Brew Like a Monk or, you know, Wood Beer or whatever it is. Having all that sort of supplementary knowledge is going to help you if you happen to score an essay question on a on a topic just to have that level of depth. Yeah, I think we should um, so, include so that, that because, that's... yeah, I'm thinking of yeah. you know, a, a one-off independent um, craft beer bar that might want to put their, you know, three of their key staff through. It's just give them a good yeah. idea to, you know, work out, you know, what, it, what it's going to cost them. Yeah, well, 
Well, that's where it's better if you do have a few people because then you can just share some resources a little bit and um, you well, know, also study together, the, I guess. Yes, and also, but also the the taste, the the third sort of cost apart from the exam and the you know the the um the text, the third cost is all the beer that you need to taste because you need to try and taste examples of um, all of the different styles that you can get your hands on globally, uh, which is, you know, sometimes getting getting your hands on those is, is not easy. Um, that's where John at Bucket Boys was a big help to us just because he sort of, he, he structures his buying in such a way that he always likes to try and have all of the different styles represented in his store. Um, and yeah, so just buying all that tasting stock and then, you know, doing the blind tastings, which I did a lot of on my own. Um, and I spent quite a bit of money just buying those beers only to have a couple of sips of them and then you know there's only so much of them you can drink so so um it, it does all add up it's not it's not a cheap exercise but if you've got a group of people that are sharing some of those costs uh and there is i think you know for in that bar context that you're talking about i think there are group bookings where it gets a bit cheaper for everyone if you if you've got five people or something like that too yeah but just very quickly before we do let you go, you have just come back from the Craft Brewers Conference and then you had a bit of downtime that seemed to be extensively visiting breweries. Uh, do you have any observations for what you saw in the States and uh, a bit of a postcard from? Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty awesome experience, as it always is going over there and tasting a lot of beers. Um, and, you know, there's pro- probably the biggest craze that's happening at the moment which is sort of starting to make its way over here is just the whole New England IPA, the whole hazy IPA trend, these really juicy beers that are really low in bitterness. Um, and, you know, I tried a lot of those while I was over there and found that they were pretty, a lot of them were pretty underwhelming and, and just sort of lacked the, you know, the definition and the, you know, the, the bitter finish that you kind of enjoy with an IPA. But then there were some that were the best examples that just sort of had a bit of a light haze and a bit more juicy hop character and then kind of some of the bitterness that you want that were really nice. Um, so that was sort of one of the trends that I kind of noticed everywhere I went. Um, farmhouse or Saison beers are, are, are really in growth and we saw that in the data that the Brewers Association handed down while I was over there and that, that I wrote about. And I did notice that a lot of there were a lot of those beers around and there were just some great um, Saisons and great farmhouse-style beers that were, you know, I suppose Saison as the base style, maybe they were they were fermented in a wooden further like what, what Ben Krause is doing down at Bridge Road. So maybe there was a bit of a bread influence and um, yeah, so just different. And then there were other examples that were more heavily hopped um, farmhouse, American farmhouse style beers as well. And I just, that, that was, that was probably those and probably also just some cracking Pilsners, which I had um, from a couple of breweries over there, which I probably found um, to be the most exciting or inspiring beers that I had when I was over there. But the other comment that I would make is just that um, once you kind of got outside some of the more reputable names and the places that I'd been recommended to go to and just kind of went in a little country town into whatever little whatever little brew pub was in the town that had only been open for, you know, 12 months or, or 18 months or whatever it was, beer quality was an issue just in the same way that it is in a lot of small breweries in Australia at the moment. And we heard Ray and Randy talk about that last week. So I kind of think that, you know, Australia's beer quality is kind of on par with the US. It's just that they've got a lot more breweries that are making beers of a high standard. Um, and at the ta- they've got a very long tail end as well. So, you know, it's just sort of 
really, I think, I think Australia can be pretty happy with where it's heading from a beer quality perspective. Did you find yourself just going to a town that you didn't know there was a brewery and just suddenly, you know, finding two or three in the main street? Or, you know, we do hear of the concentration of breweries. Are they cropping up literally everywhere? Yeah, I, I think they are. I mean, I stayed outside um, Portland in a town called Forest Grove and there'd been two that had opened there just in the previous, you know, just in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, and, yeah, I, I think they are popping up all over the place and, and in Portland, you know, it was two years since I'd been in Portland and there were a lot of, a lot of new places that had popped up since I was there. And, and, and also a lot of, just a lot of breweries that uh, quite a few breweries that are just doing it tough as well. Like that. I, I, I mean, I was at Bridgeport and I think this is probably, this information is probably all on the public record, but you know, they recently laid off 13 people and their volumes um, were down. I just couldn't believe this 50, 50,000 barrels to, oh, I don't know barrels, but anyway, look, it was, it was, um, it was down by two thirds basically. So, yeah, wow. just uh, their volumes have been absolutely decimated by because they're an established regional brewery, and they've just got all these little local breweries um, popping up all over the place, dipping at their heels, and um, it's it's you know they've they've just had a really difficult uh, couple of years. And and another brewer, Ben Dobler, who you probably met Matt when he was out here, and he's he was at Craft Brew Alliance, which is Widmer and Red Hook and Kona, and now he's at a brewery called Laurelwood. Um, and he just made the comment to me that that it's getting to the point where now you'd be better off starting a brewery, um, running it for five years, and then just closing it down and calling it something else and starting again because consumers just have zero loyalty in the US now, um, which craft drinkers don't anyway, but, but just there with the number of breweries that are popping up, it's just so fiercely competitive and, and consumers are interested in what is new and what is local. But at the same time, yesterday you published a, an article that the advice is you know constantly innovate and you know look at your product lineup, which is one of those things for breweries to be successful. They need to be constantly uh, reinvigorating what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's just right, and I think it probably is some of the breweries that haven't done a very good job of that that have felt the pinch when when these many other breweries are, are opening up because people have just got so many choices these days. There's, well, look, I think that's as uh, good a place as any to uh, leave it. And thank you for all of the articles you posted while you're over there. It was fascinating keeping up uh, with the Craft Brewers Conference. And uh, we've got the Australian Craft Brewers Conference coming up in July, so we can see how much of that becomes relevant to the uh, Australian Craft Brewers Conference. So, uh, James and Pete, thank you very much for joining us for this uh, special uh, Mia Culper edition of Radio Brews News. And uh, <laughs> we, ne- we need to... Hopefully not the first of many, Matt. But, but I've enjoyed being on the show. Oh, Matt, it, it, it's, it's not the first. There have been many already. But uh, anyway, I, I, it you, won't be the last. <laughs> no, no. You, when are you guys going? Who, who's today's guest? Who, who are we pissing off today? No, we spoke to Bart Watson. Just you, mate. This is, oh, that's right. Oh, right. This in, oh, are you? Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah oh, okay. we, we, we recorded the real show. <laughs> it's taken us forty minutes just for me to dig myself out of uh, last week, but. Uh, uh, but we definitely do want to get uh, you on to hear your uh, observations as a certified Cicerone and as a beer insider more often, James. So, uh, yeah, it's been great chatting and uh, look forward to getting you on again very, very soon. In Thanks, fact, guys. we might even just uh, have you replacing me permanently. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, James. In the garden, what a garden. 
Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. (laughs) 